gentlemen. This is the Nexus Podcast, and I am your host, Dr. Daniel Kimbley, owner of Nexus Family Chiropractic, right here in Orange County, California. This podcast, the Nexus Podcast, is going to be about four things. It's going to be about posture, it's going to be about presence, it's going to be about productivity, and it's going to be about profit. Now, your posture is ultimately going to determine how powerful you are as a human being, and we'll get into some of that in the future episodes of this podcast. That posture and that power you have as a human ultimately fuels your presence your ability to stay focused, your ability to focus on what matters to you. That presence is ultimately going to lead to your productivity. So having more willpower, creating more gains, whether it's in the gym, whether it's in business, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's time with your kids, having productivity inside of those things. And then lastly, how you profit from having better posture, presence, productivity. What's profit look like? Profit not just in terms of money, but also profit in terms of time spent with family, your quality of life. That's what this podcast is all about, is ultimately setting you up to be the most successful version of you that you could possibly be. Because I have a revelation many, many years ago, and I realized this, is that everybody has the same capacity to be successful. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how you were born or who you were born to, if you were born into money or you weren't born into money or if a million bad things have happened to you through your lifetime or if you've had it all handed to you on a silver platter. It doesn't matter. We all have the exact same ability to be successful through every phase of life. So in this podcast, here's what we're going to do. Today is going to be an origin. This is the first episode of the Nexus podcast. So I'm going to give you my origins. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on how I came to be in the position I am as owning Nexus Family Chiropractic right here in Orange County, California. Inside of that conversation, we're going to do a couple of things. I'm going to share my story with you, and then the next week, we're going to follow that up with a conversation strictly about posture and how posture is linked up to power. The week after that, we'll talk about presence. The week after that, we're going to talk about productivity and what it means to be a productive human and different ways that you can be productive inside of your life and things that you're probably missing, even if you are already super successful. I know I work with a lot of elite business owners, elite parents, elite athletes, and guess what? When their productivity goes up, when they do a very specific set of things, and we're going to talk talk about all those things along this journey. And then lastly, we're going to talk about profit. Yes, in terms of making money, but also profit inside of your life, whether it's inside of profiting with your body, profiting with your marriage and your time spent with your loved ones and with your kids and your family and your wife or your husband's. And then lastly, uh, profit inside of anything else that you might be doing. And so each week, we're going to have a conversation, and they're going to go like this. Next week, we're going to talk about posture. The following week, we'll talk about presence. The following week, we'll talk about productivity. The following week, we'll talk about profit. And we will just repeat that. So then I'll go back to posture again, and we'll continue the cycle just to give you a little bit of background on how this thing is set up. So then the question becomes is, how did I get here? How did I get into this position to be talking to you about posture, presence, productivity, and profit? And for this conversation, we have to take a journey all the way back into when I was in high school. Now, high school was a very different time in my life. High school, I was actually a big time partier. Now, some of you who know me certainly know that I was a partier. Uh, Others of you don't may not have the understanding and couldn't even probably picture me as a partier now, much like my wife can't because when we met, I was a different person from when we met. But in high school, that's who I was. I was a big time partier. I played baseball, but I didn't really care about it. I much more cared about hanging out with friends and hanging out with girls on the weekend and just partying. Um, and causing lots of trouble. Fortunately, I never got into too much trouble, but that's who I was. So back in high school, 
I was the person who, for some reason, I still can't explain why to this day, but I had this belief that the body knew how to heal itself. And what I mean by that is this. Anytime I would have a headache, anytime I would have aches and pains, I never wanted to take Tylenol or Advil or any prescription drugs or Dimetap or Robitussin or whatever my mom tried to give me when I was sick. I always had this belief that my body knew how to heal itself and that I didn't need those outside things to help me. Now, I had no foundation for this place in my life. I had no concept of that this was an actual thing that exists that other people believed in. I just knew it be, to be true within my heart, and that's kind of how I lived my life, except for I had this glaring inconsistency because I was a partier and I was no stranger to putting foreign substances into my body, but when it came to my body's ability to heal itself, I realized that I didn't need anything from the outside to do it. I knew that it would do it on its own. Now we'll get into later uh, how I put the pieces of this picture together, but in high school, we'll just start here. In high school, I realized that the body knew how to heal itself, and that's where I was kind of stuck. I didn't know that anybody else was having this conversation. My parents thought I was weird. My friends thought I was weird. As a matter of fact, I can remember my junior year of high school, I'm sitting on the bench eating lunch with some of my friends and I start to get this terrible fever come on and the fever comes on and my friends are like, dude, you should just take some Excedrin. You'll start to feel better. And I was like, no, 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 my body knows how to heal itself. So the next day sitting on the exact same bench, doing the exact same routine with my friends again, eating lunch, I'm feeling worse this time. And they're like, dude, you just need to take the Excedrin. It's going to make you feel better. And I tell them, no, no, my body knows how to heal itself. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I got to a point, my parents were out of town during this time, about a week in, I had a fever for five days and my parents get back from this vacation that they took by themselves. And guess what I find out? I find out that I actually had mono and that I did need medication. So there's certainly a time and place for emergency medication, emergency medical care and advice. But again, in high school, I was sitting here as this person that had this belief that my body knew how to heal itself. And I also was a person who was very, very confused and not very motivated. So as a high schooler, having this belief, the body knows how to heal itself, having no foundation for why I thought that, but I just thought that, I want to give you a little picture of who I was. So I thought that I was going to arrive when I became the assistant manager of the oil chain shop that I worked at. I was working at Indy Lube, which then became Master Express while I was in high school. So my junior and senior year of high school, I'm working at this oil chain shop, and I can vividly remember having this vision of like, if I can only become a manager, assistant manager, then I've arrived and I'll be living out the American dream. The problem with that was this, is that my dad was going to force me to go to college. My dad literally sat me down one day, my junior year, and he's like, I don't care what you say or what you think or what you do, you're going to go to college. And there's no other option about it. So from that place, I had a decision to make. I could either get into it with my dad and go back and forth and try to just become the assistant manager of the oil change place, or I could appease him and apply to college. So here's what I did. I had this brilliant idea. I applied to one college. That college was Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. When I applied to the college, I had no hopes of getting in. I was actually praying that I wouldn't get in, and I didn't think that I had good enough grades to get in, but I was just going to make him happy, use it as the excuse that I'm not good enough to go to college, and then become the assistant manager at the oil chain shop that I was working at. So I can remember standing downstairs, I'm changing, I'm pulling the drain plug out of one of these cars and oil's running down my forearm, running down my elbow, getting into my shirt, oil splashing in my face. And I had just applied to college and I realized, I don't think I want to go to college. I don't think it will serve me any purpose. I think that I can make $35,000 a year if I just become the assistant manager. And that's where I was stuck. That's where I lived my life until... I got a letter in the mail that said, Dear Daniel Kimbley, congratulations, 
you've been formally accepted to Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and it stated that my declared major was going to be pre-law. Well, all my plans had went south. I wanted to become the assistant manager. I did not want to go to college. And here I was accepted to college. My dad was going to force me now force me to go to. And so we show up to orientation on the first day of college and I get a little surprise. They split up groups of people based on what majors they're in. So I got to sit with all of the other pre-law students, which wasn't a problem, except for when they took us in to meet with the advisors, we sat in this big room. We heard the advisors speak about the pre-law program and I was absolutely bored to death. I can remember this so vividly. It's probably the most boring time of my life. I already didn't want to be there. I'm sitting next to my dad. I'm hearing these people talk about something that I have no passion or no interest in. I thought law would make me a lot of money until I realized how boring the people I was meeting were. Now, nothing against lawyers, nothing against attorneys, nothing against any of those other students that were in the pre-law program or even the advisors. I was just bored. None of it was uh, within my passion or my wheelhouse for that matter. I just thought it sounded good on paper. And so I declared pre-law. So I would do what most college students do. Remember, now I'm a freshman in college. I had been, been accepted. I went to orientation with my dad sitting next to me and I decided that law wasn't going to be it. So I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I declared my major undecided. Well, lucky for me, I had an English teacher. It was my first semester of my freshman year of undergrad, and we started learning about the educational system in the United States of America. And as we started learning about the educational system in the U.S., here's one of the interesting things that I picked up on. There was this thing, unbeknownst to me at the time, that was called a hidden curriculum. Now, if you've never heard of the hidden curriculum before, this is what the hidden curriculum is. So there's a regular curriculum that is taught in schools, and that would be the math, science, English, history, social studies, all of those things that are taught in the re- within the regular curriculum. But then there's also, these researchers found, what is called a hidden curriculum. That hidden curriculum teaches a very specific set of skills, just like English, science, math, and history, but no one knows that they're teaching it, and no one knows that they're learning it. Not the administrators, not the students, not the teachers, unless they're aware of it. And very, very few teachers, in my humble opinion, were aware that there was a hidden curriculum. And this is also what the research stated as well. So as I started doing more research, as I started learning about this hidden curriculum, the hidden curriculum and the research that came with it stated this, is that if you went to a school that had parents and teachers of lower socioeconomic status, then you were more likely to learn skills that were going to directly relate to someone who worked in the lower socioeconomic status position. Now, what kind of positions are we talking about with this? Well, for me and my life, my mom was a bus driver. My dad worked in a factory. So those lower socioeconomic status schools were teaching skills like memorization. There's only one right or wrong answer. You're not allowed to be creative. You're only allowed to get to the answer in one specific way. And those teaching strategies would set up students to work in those exact same jobs. So there would be what is called a glass ceiling, meaning a ceiling that you can't see, but there's a set of skills required to get to the next level that were never being taught within the context of the classroom. Sure, the content may have been great, but the skills they were teaching weren't leading students to success or only a limited amount of success. Now, on the other hand, there's also a hidden curriculum with the elite, the highest socioeconomic status schools or the schools where the parents make the most money. And in those schools, here's the skills that were taught. There were skills that were taught that were like members, uh, not memorization, but there's more than one right way to get the answer. There's more than one 
way to do something. You can use your creativity. It's lots of critical thinking and problem solving on your own and using creative solutions. And all of these things set up students to work in positions that were going to require them to be more creative. So instead of maybe being a bus driver, not that there's anything wrong with being a bus driver, where you may just have a right or wrong, you clock in at the at the beginning of the day, you follow a very specific set of instructions, and then at the end of the day, you clock out. Whereas a doctor may have to do a little more critical thinking or problem solving along the way. And so what these researchers have found, and they still continue to find, is that each individual school, there's steps of them, there are five along the way. So there's low socioeconomic status, there's middle low, there's middle, there's high middle, and then there's higher, what they call the elite schools each teaching their own set of skills to keep kids in certain jobs or certain positions that their parents might have been in. Now, I'm not saying that this is a conspiracy theory, that there are people out there who are uh, planning behind the scenes to keep people stuck in certain positions, but this is just the skills that are taught behind the scenes. This is why it's called the hidden curriculum. So empowered with this information, remember I said I was a a partier in high school, empowered with this information, I had this very strong realization is that I was being taught skills that were memorization. I was being taught skills that there was only one right or wrong way to do something. I was being taught skills that were going to set me up to be in the same position that my mom and my dad were in. This is why I wanted to be the assistant manager at the oil change shop. And being in this class my freshman year of college completely transformed my perspective on what it meant to be a successful human being. And here's what I realized is that everybody has the same potential to be successful. They're just taught different sets of skills and they have different sets of skills that allow them to operate at certain levels. And then you can learn new skills and you can operate at a higher level and you can learn new skills and you can operate at a higher level. Along with this operating at a higher level, you can also be more present. You can be more productive. You can make more money. You can have better relationships. You can have faster cars, whatever the case may be for you. And so as I started to learn about this hidden curriculum, it opened up the world to me and I started to ask the question, was this happening to me in my school? And every time I thought about this, the answer definitively was yes, absolutely. This is what happened to me. This is why I wanted to be the assistant manager. I wanted to follow someone else's directions and instructions on what to do because those were the skills I was taught as a student. Now, guess what? Undergrad, my freshman year in this English class, completely started to break and transform my mindset and the skills I would have around this. And so here's what I did. I got super passionate about the educational system in the United States, and I started asking more questions and deep diving into some of this information, so much so that I decided, you know what? I want to go back into schools and the lower socioeconomic status schools, and I want to teach those same students who were otherwise being taught skills how to memorize, and I wanted to start teaching them that hidden curriculum that I'm talking about because I knew it existed. I wanted to start teaching those students how to think more critically and think for themselves. I wanted to empower them to break out of the shell and out of the cage that the school had put them in and out of the cage of jobs that may have been possible for those students at that time frame, and so they could do something better with their lives. Again, not that there's anything wrong with being the bus driver like my mom was, but what I'm saying is that there's a different set of skills and a higher level of purpose that people can strive to if they so choose, and I wanted to give kids the opportunity to do that so they didn't end up like me thinking that the end-all be-all was to be an assistant manager of an oil change shop. And so here's what I did is I decided that I was going to go into education. Now, going into education is an interesting thing because it's kind of difficult to get a job, and I would argue even more so now. So what I did, I was very smart about this back in the day. I don't know how I got this idea, but I did. So I went back to the high school that I uh, went to, and when I went back to the high school, I met with one of my assistant principals. His name was Mr. Hurley, and I asked Mr. Hurley, I said, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a teacher, but I kind of want to become a PE teacher, 
What do you think about that? And he marched me down. He didn't answer my question. He just marched me down to the other end of the school. He walked me into the PE classroom, which is just the gymnasium, right? There's two gyms in there. There's two separate classes, two separate PE teachers. They're both teaching. And he says, I want you to tell me what you see with these two teachers. And here's what I saw with both of them. I saw that they were both old. And he's like, yep, you're right. They are. They've both been here teaching for more than 15 years. Now, this was interesting to me. So he he had a point, but I didn't know what the point was yet. And so then he said, okay, just remember that. Two teachers, they've been here for 15 years. He marched me down to the English department of the classroom, which is on the, of the school. And it's on the other end of the building. So I marched through the school, other end of the building. We get to the English department and he starts counting classrooms. Me just standing in this empty hallway with lockers on both sides and he starts counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine classrooms. I didn't know what that meant. And he's like, that's nine different English teachers. He said, think about it for a second. Where do you think it's going to be easier to get a job? And it all made sense. He was showing me that economically speaking, it was going to be easier for me to get an English teaching job than it would be to teach PE. And so I decided right then and there, after meeting with Mr. Hurley, driving back home in my car, I was going to declare my major in English. Now, you may be wondering why English. I told you that I was a partier when I was back in high school. Quite literally, uh, I'm going to say some of my friends could not have graduated if it weren't for me helping them with their English papers. And I think they would attest to this if you asked them as well. So I won't drop any names here, but I decided that, you know, if I could help my friends pass high school, literally graduate and help them with some of these papers, I got to be able to help other high school students, especially equipped with what I know, but now about the hidden curriculum. And so there it was. I declared my major secondary English education. I wanted to teach high schoolers. I wanted to help break the chains of hidden curriculum. And that's where I ended up in undergrad. So throughout undergrad, I started learning more and more about the brain and how young students learn. And when I got into the teaching world, I went into directly into an urban school district, a school district where it was very mixed, but we had lots of students of low socioeconomic status, lots of students with students with learning disabilities because I wanted to help those people. I didn't want to be in an affluent school. I wanted to be in a school where I could help break the chains of the hidden curriculum. And so I chose to work in an urban school district, one of the biggest high schools in Indianapolis, Indiana. And as I started teaching, uh, something very frustrating and very interesting happened to me. I realized that my teaching strategies were only getting me so far. Now, everything I learned from IUPUI, my instructors were amazing there, but my teaching strategies were only getting me a part of the way. And I started asking, what else can I do with these kids? Why am I having such trouble with some of these kids inside of the classroom? Interesting question. I know other teachers have asked the same question as well. Nonetheless, here I was stuck with a dilemma. I could keep doing what I'm doing and get okay results teaching these kids, or I could start to learn more. And so I went back to something that I said at the very beginning of this podcast is that everybody has the same potential to be successful. It's just a certain set of skills that they have that help them get there. And so what I started researching was what actually makes someone successful. Is it a set of skills? Is it just grades that they get in high school? Is it how much money they make when they get out? What determines and defines success? Now, success is different for everyone, but there are a very specific set of skills that are involved with being a successful human being. And here's the thing about those skills. Those skills are not English skills. Those skills, they are not math skills. Those skills, they're not science skills. They're not social studies skills. They're not PE skills. The skills that actually make someone successful come from a very highly specialized part of the brain. That part of the brain is known as the prefrontal cortex or the frontal cortex as they'll call it, the front part of the brain. That front part of the brain is responsible for a very specific set of skills like creativity, 
willpower, determination, grit, goal-oriented task, connecting to other people, being able to look someone in the eyes, being able to empathize, emotional IQ, and all these other things that actually make someone successful. So many researchers have looked at this, and here's what they found is that kids who have lots of stress when they're young, i.e. kids in low socioeconomic statuses, kids who have lots of stress when they're young, their brain scans, their fMRIs literally look different than brain scans of kids from elite schools who haven't had a lot of stress. And so one of the things that they start looking at is this is all coming from the prefrontal cortex, that front part of the brain. So if the front part of the brain is shut down, no matter how good of grades a kid gets, if they don't have a certain set of skills, that grit, willpower, determination, creativity, curiosity, then they're not going to be as successful as they could. And so here's what I started doing. I started making up my own teaching strategies inside of my classroom to teach these soft skills, these skills that would allow kids to develop their willpower and their grit and their creativity and their determination and their ability to problem solve and their ability to connect with other people and build relationships. And here's what I immediately found. The results that they were getting inside the classroom skyrocketed. So much so that me and one of my teaching mentors who helped me learn all these things along the way the school asked us to start teaching other teachers what we were doing. They were very, very interested because they saw the results that we were getting. They saw the experiences that our kids were having in the classroom and they started asking the question is like, hey, can you teach us to other people because we see this is important and we want to know, we want to know exactly what you're doing and why, why you're doing it. So as we started teaching to the prefrontal cortex, we kind of stopped teaching English and social studies. We were still teaching the content, but we realized that the content was only a means to teach this other set of skills. And that's literally all it was because no amount of English skills, no amount of math skills is ever going to actually help someone be successful. It's all these soft skills that we're talking about that come from the front part of the brain. And so as a teacher, as I started teaching to the front part of the brain, one of the things that became abundantly clear is the better I did it, the more skills my kids gained the better their grades got. It was because they had more determination. It was because they had more creativity. They could start to problem solve for themselves. They started coming out of this stressed out state where they couldn't be rational and into a more rational state. Now, at the same time that I'm teaching and I'm learning all these things about the front part of the brain and the way that emotions and the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis all play into someone's experience of school and how people learn and how stress hormones shut down the way we learn as human beings, I got very fascinated with the brain. And simultaneously, my wife, who was working for a chiropractor at the time, she wasn't my wife then, she was just my girlfriend, she was begging me to go see him. Now, this is going to bring the picture full circle because you're probably wondering what does this chiropractor thing and your uh, soon-to-be wife have to do with you teaching these kids in school and uh, these new teaching strategies that you were developing. Well, so after a year of my wife and I dating, she convinced me to go see this chiropractor and she just wanted me to hear him speak. And she had told me, this is something that you've lived your life by, but you didn't know it actually existed. And so I went down, I went to Carmel, Indiana. I sat in the front row to hear this bald-headed doctor speak with glasses. His name was Dr. Mike Wasserstrom, still one of my biggest mentors to this day. Love him to death. I listened to Dr. Mike speak for the very first time, and here's something that he said that completely transformed everything I knew about my life and about the world that we lived in. And here's what he said. He said, your body has the power to be healthy and heal itself on its own. Everybody has the same potential to be successful and the same potential to be healthy. It's how well or how healthy your nervous system is that determines that success and that health. 
Now, if you remember at the beginning of this podcast, when I was in high school, I was telling my friends this exact same thing, but I thought I was the weird one who just had this weird philosophy that no one else believed in. Now here this doctor was teaching this to about 50 people in a room, something that I had always believed to be true my whole life, but had never met anybody else who believed it to be true themselves. And as soon as he said this, I immediately latched onto it because I knew there was something to it. And so I decided I was going to get under care with Dr. Mike, not because I was ever in pain. Most people associate chiropractic care with neck pain, back pain, and headaches. I was never under chiropractic care because I was in pain because I was interested in living the healthiest lifestyle possible. Now, I wasn't the healthiest person yet. I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I had a great diet. I did not at the time. I was just learning. I was super young. I was probably 22 or 23 years old. And here I was hearing Dr. Mike for the first time say that your body has the power to heal itself. It just needs no interference to the nervous system. And with this, I took it and I ran and I got under chiropractic care for myself. Now, here's the interesting thing about the chiropractic care that I was under for myself. I was playing competitive volleyball at the time. I was actually coaching volleyball in the high school I was teaching at at the time. And here's what I realized is that as I was coaching and as I was teaching and as I was playing volleyball and as I was eating healthy and as I was competing in CrossFit, I started noticing a change in my body from the care that I was under, the chiropractic care by Dr. Mike that I was under. And here's what I started noticing. I started realizing that I had a little bit more stamina, that I was actually getting stronger faster, and I wasn't getting injured. So a year went by, and I start watching some of my friends and some of the people that I'm competing and playing volleyball with, and they literally have gym bags filled with tissues and drugs, some prescriptions, some over-the-counter, some hard narcotics like opioids, and they're taking these pills to have to compete. And they're telling me, oh, this is just what 30's like. This is what it's like to get old. Everybody has to go through this. And that wasn't my experience. Now, we were all about the same age. We're all eating healthy. We're all exercising. We're all dieting. We're all doing all the right things, except for one thing. I was under chiropractic care, and they were not. And I was, I was under this care. I started realizing that the world around me looked different. I was watching people fall apart. I was watching people with bad knees and bad elbows and bad shoulders and have to get taped up and wrapped up and braced up and all these things. And that wasn't my story. And so I, then I became interested again and I'm like, why, what's the difference? Why is chiropractic care allowing me to feel different than all the people around me? And as I went on this journey, and one of the things I'm going to share in more detail as we go through the rest of this podcast is I started realizing that the chiropractic care that I was under was stimulating the part of my brain that was allowing my body to heal itself. And as I started to learn more about the brain, I started asking more questions. And the question that keep kept coming up was, what is it about chiropractic care that stimulates the brain? And what I realized is this, what I learned is this, and what more research is showing is this, is that chiropractic care, specific chiropractic adjustments to the spine, to the joints of the spine directly stimulates the front part of the brain. Now, remember, we were talking about the front part of the brain when I was teaching because I was learning about it there too. And what I realized is that that same front part of the brain that we're stimulating with the chiropractic adjustment that I was stimulating in my, in my classes with my teaching strategies is the same part of the brain that's responsible for those students' success. So I started asking another question back in the classroom. And my question was this, What if I could adjust my students? I started noticing a lot of trends. I noticed that kids with autism and ADHD and some of these other learning disabilities, they generally speaking had very poor posture. Now the question was why? Why was that the case? I wasn't sure at the time. I'll share some of the details of why this is the case in other episodes of this podcast, but their posture directly was linked up to their ability to learn as students. 
That posture was also directly linked up to their presence and their ability to be productive inside of the classroom. And this led me to this profound revelation that I know can change the world today. And one day I'm going to have my own school and there's going to be chiropractors instead of school nurses. And those chiropractors are going to provide adjustments and it can completely change the game of how our kids produce inside of a classroom. And my question was this, what if I could give chiropractic adjustments and teach these kids and their families the principles of health and healing that I had learned from Dr. Mike that I had known to be true my entire life. What if I could give those adjustments and teach those principles to my kids in the classroom? How much better would those results be? How much better would their results be than just the teaching strategies that I was using? How much better would it be? How much higher would they perform? How much better would they be long-term? Could we completely reverse some of these learning disabilities? Could we get kids back on track who were labeled with something when actually they didn't need to be labeled, they just had a malfunction of their brain and their nervous system? And as I started teaching and having these conversations with more and more teachers, I realized one very, very important thing that I was always teaching And not teaching these principles of health and healing, I was miserable. I had a marriage, not even a marriage yet. Heather and I were not married. We were together. I was coming home from work at 3 p.m. I would work out in my garage gym for hours to try and numb myself of the misery that I was under, of the unfulfillment that I was under from teaching. Now, it's not because I didn't enjoy teaching. I was actually great at it. I loved it. The problem was that I was unfulfilled because I wasn't doing what I was passionate about. I was not chasing my passion, which is teaching the people these principles of health and healing. Instead, I just stayed teaching English because it was a safe thing to do. Heather and I had a house with a white picket fence. Heather and I both had cars. We both had college degrees, yet here we were, not married yet, both unfulfilled, and we had everything we were told we were supposed to have in our lives. We went to college. We got a house. We were about to get married, and yet here we were, unfulfilled, unhappy with our lives, especially me. And it was because I wasn't chasing my passion. But as I started to get adjusted and I started to continue the care that I was under as part of my healthy lifestyle, just like diet, just like exercise, just like playing volleyball, I started making some shifts in my life. And the shifts I started making in my life completely transformed everything about Heather and I's relationship, completely transformed everything about what I am teaching now. And here was the shift that I started to make. At some point under the chiropractic care that I was under, I finally decided that it was time for me to quit teaching English, that it was time to go teach whole families this principle of health and healing, this, that chiropractic care can literally change the world, change the way our students are successful in school, change the way they get out and what they do and what they pursue as a career, because this is where I was. I was stuck, feeling unfulfilled, until I started getting adjusted. And as soon as I started getting adjusted, I had this beast waken within me where I started asking more and more questions. I started diving deeper into the research. And when I started diving deeper into the research, it led me back to one place. This principle, this chiropractic principle, the idea that the body is self-healing, self-regulating, and self-maintaining completely transformed my world. So much so that I had to get out of the safe job that I was in. I forced my wife to give up her job, her dream job as a physical therapist, to come to California so that we could open our own chiropractic practice. Now that was just a journey. We didn't magically end up here in California. We actually had to move to Georgia. And before we moved to Georgia, we had to get married. So we got, I quit, I put in my resignation for teaching in April of 2014. Heather and I got married in June of 2014. And then our house sold so quickly that we had to move back in with my dad. Talk about an ideal first husband. Beginning, quit our jobs, 
and we have to move back in with dad until I can start chiropractic school in October of 2014. And when I start chiropractic school, everything changed. I got on fire. I got on point because I was now chasing my passion. I was learning what I was interested in. I was learning about the brain and all these things I've talked about already and how this principle, the chiropractic adjustment can directly influence a brain and help create more successful human beings because everybody has the same potential to be successful. So as I graduated, Heather and I had a decision to make. Where were we going to open our practice? And the ideal location was in Southern California, in Southern Orange County, California, to be more specific in Dana Point. And here we are, just over a year into practice, Nexus Family Chiropractic, and we're sharing this principle with our community because we know people need to hear it. People need to hear it because here's always been the path. The, the path has always been this is that if you have symptoms, if you're in pain, if you have a fever, if you have a headache, if you have a stuffy nose, if you have runny eyes, if you have itchy skin, we have a lotion, we have a pill, we have something you can take from the outside to allow your body to heal. The problem is, is that they're not allowing the body to heal. The only thing those pills, potions, lotions are doing is actually just preventing symptoms, turning off the symptoms. The symptoms are a result of your body actually trying to heal itself. So if we shut down the symptoms, then we're shutting down your body's ability to heal itself. Let's think about fever for a second. Anytime you have a fever, your body's heating up, So it can literally burn off the bacteria and viruses that are attacking your body. So what do we do? We've been taught that we're supposed to take a Tylenol so the fever goes away. When we take a Tylenol and the fever goes away, guess what happens? That bacteria, those viruses continue to expand and they continue to multiply inside of your body, creating more disease. You see, it's not about the symptoms. What we're about here is treating the cause. What's causing the fever? The fever is not the problem. The fever is not a problem. The fever is actually a good thing. And this is the difference, and this is where we are, and this is where we're going to go for the rest of this podcast and the rest of these episodes moving forward. Instead of taking a a course of action towards treating disease or waiting until there's something wrong in order to fix a problem, what if we allowed the body to heal itself naturally without drugs, without surgery, without pills, potions, or lotions, by optimizing the nervous system and upgrading in a way that prevented you from getting sick in the first place. Sure, there are going to be times when each of every one of us are going to get sick or have symptoms, but instead of looking at those as a bad thing, what if we started to realize that it's our body's natural process and if we optimize the way our body can handle and deal with stress, then we can prevent those things from happening and we can live a higher quality of life, a quality of life that's going to give us more posture, better posture and more power, more power as a human being to produce and be present and be productive and ultimately create more profit. And this, my friends, is what we are all about here at Nexus Family Chiropractic, not treating symptoms not fixing you because you are not broken. You are not broken. You are perfect. Your nervous system may need some work so that you can experience less of what you're experiencing, but ultimately, if you're experiencing pain or you're experiencing ear infections or fevers or whatever the case may be, those are warning signs. That's your body telling you that, hey, something is wrong. And when we address the nervous system, your body can naturally heal itself. And that's going to be the conversation for the rest of the episodes in this podcast is how your body naturally knows how to heal itself. And when it starts to heal itself, you're ultimately going to have better posture, 
better presence, better productivity, and more profit. More profit inside of your life, inside the game of exercise and inside the game of working out, inside your relationships with your family members, with your husbands, with your wives, whatever it is, inside of your business as well, making more money and making clear decisions of being able to be present and spend time doing the things that you love to do, not sitting on the sidelines hoping that something bad doesn't happen. We're talking about getting you out of scarcity and into abundance, into abundance of your mind, into abundance of your body because we're all designed with the same potential. Whoever you look up to, you can be them and surpass them. And this is one of the secrets that no one's telling you, is that your body knows how to heal itself, that it already has a capability within it to be the things that you want to be. And when we release the nervous system, when we unlock the power of your nervous system, when we optimize it, it allows you in a way to heal yourself better, more efficiently, magical things happen, my friends. Magical things happen. So I'm going to leave you with this. If you're interested in learning more, we want you to subscribe to this podcast. I would love for you to leave comments on the first episode and let us know how you felt. This is going to be available on iTunes. It's going to be available on Spotify. It's going to be available on SoundCloud as well. So stay tuned more. This is the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Kimbley, owner of Nexus Family Chiropractic. I want to say that I love and appreciate every single one of you. We will come at you live again next week. Oh,